0: Putting on a great
1: show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm
3: Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott, rock critic with the Chicago Tribune. Tonight on the world's only rock and roll talk show in honor of Valentine's Day. Love is a great thing, but tonight on Sound Opinions, love stinks. We are going to play the stinkiest love songs of all time. It's
1: actually kind of romantic in here today at Chicago (laughs) Public Radio. I mean, the lights are dimmed low, and uh, our producers are looking at us lovingly, but we are are actually in a hateful mood. Anybody could play a bunch of love songs for you to get you in the Valentine's Day. We're going to play the songs that you need or that are created when you're on the other side. But that's later. That's going to be most of the show. This week in particular, we have a lot of music news. That is an almost unprecedented thing in the history of music. Bono has shut up and turned the microphone over to R&B diva Mary J. Blige, who's uh, singing one in
3: front of you, too, at the Grammys on Wednesday night. The 48th annual Grammy Awards, and uh, yes, Bono did shut up. But uh, Bono and his band, U2, came away the big winners that night. Uh, Five major awards The best night in the band's history at the Grammy Awards. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Greg, the way
1: I look at it, in any given year, the Grammys can go in three directions. One, they can fulfill their mission, which is to honor artistic excellence and innovation. That almost never happens, unfortunately. Number two, they honor commercial success. You know, and this is kind of the McDonald's argument. You almost can't argue with it. If $90 have been served, somebody (laughs) must like it. I don't. Those of us with taste don't, but I guess somebody's buying this crap. Okay, you know, you can almost defend that. The third, they can do a conservative cop-out and say, you know, the safest and most predictable thing was, and this has happened before, Bonnie Raitt, Santana. You know, not their best albums in those years, but they got tons of Grammys, and that's what U2 was
3: this year. Even you 2 would admit that their latest album, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, which won Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and three other Grammy Awards, was not their best album. Most handicappers were predicting, and apparently the producers of the Grammy
1: broadcast were predicting, that the Grammys would take that second category I talked about an honor commercial accomplishment, honoring Mariah Carey's The Emancipation of Mimi. So when they announced the winner of Song of the Year, they played the Mariah Carey song, although U2 <laughs> won.
4: And the Grammy goes to... You too. Sometimes you can't make it on your own.
1: I mean, that's absolutely nuts there. I could have lived with Mariah sweeping. The other story that would have made sense, eight nominations, was Kanye West. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, we talked about the Village Voice critics poll. thousand rock critics in America agree that this is the most extraordinary album of the year. You know, it's a commercial hit. It's an artistic success. The guy's up for eight Grammys. He wins three. Last year, he was up for ten. He wins three. And we're talking about three in, in the minor categories. Yeah. not you know he, That was the record of the year. That was the
3: song of the year. That was the album of the year. Bono you know, went up to receive the album of the year and was, was slightly shocked. He says, you know, you've got the next one, Kanye, because yeah. I don't know how we won this one, essentially.
1: We, we need to sit down. You and I have both covered Kanye since the start of his career. And uh, we need to sit him down and explain why the Grammys don't matter. <laughs> He seemed genuinely broken up by the fact that he was not winning. He was sitting there next to his mom and he was praying he was gonna win. You know, and and it's like, look, Kanye, man, Bob Dylan never won a Grammy until the nineteen eighties. Yeah. All that stuff in the sixties, all that stuff the Rolling Stones never won a Grammy until the eighties. Listen,
3: man, they don't know what they're doing. Be content that Greg and I like you. (laughs) They gave him a chance to perform anyway, and part of the story here, Jim, every year is not so much the awards itself, because they only hand out a handful of the well, awards what they, they were on national television. Get
1: this, 108 categories yeah. of the
3: Grammy Awards. They had given out 95 of those 108 before the damn show started. What we have is a three-and-a-half-hour variety show yeah. of, you know, supposedly... The best music of the preceding year compressed into one, you know, primetime television show. We got the best and the worst and some of the in-betweens of the year in music. I mean, some extraordinary performances. I thought McCartney sounded great uh, yeah, doing he was, Helter Skelter he with his band. Fire.
1: Well, and, and doing Fine Line from his album last year, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Right. You know, an actual
3: new song from a Beatles legend. They, they seemed to be loving playing it. And at the same time, McCartney was part of an incredible train wreck with uh, <laughs> Chester Bennington of Linkin Park. What was he doing there? And Jay-Z, one of the most important hip-hop artists of the last decade. These three guys trying to figure out how they could fit together and sing McCartney's Yesterday. I
5: need you to remember one thing. One thing. I came, I saw, I conquered. wrecked sales, sold out concerts. So everybody, if you want this call I need you to scream till your lungs get sore. Yours truly. Uh-huh. All my troubles seem so far away. Uh-huh. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Uh, oh,
6: why I, be I, thee I believe yesterday. Suddenly.
1: You know, Chester from Lincoln Park doesn't deserve to share the stage with Jay-Z, let alone Paul <laughs> McCartney. <laughs> yeah. but, but worst of all were the people that they tried it out for this
3: Sly Stone tribute. Yeah, Sly Stone, a shocking discovery. Sly Stone is alive and actually able to walk up on a stage. I mean, Barely. This, his first major public appearance since being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. I mean, literally, people have completely lost touch with Sly Stone. One of the great riddles in rock history of the last couple of decades is what happened to Sly Stone, one of the most important artists of the late 60s, early 70s, huge innovator, shows up at the Grammy Awards.
5: Hey, Sly!
7: Let's do it like we used to
3: do it. Come on! A 61-year-old man with a platinum blonde
1: mohawk, right, right, kind of hunched over in this silver cape, unable to play the keyboards, unable to kind of move or dance fluidly unable to sing, was
3: trying to sing Take Me Higher, it was a pathetic moment. Trotted out for sort of the amusement and the uh, surprise of the audience out there, but you came away feeling really sad really after sad. that moment. When well, Sly Stone sort of shuffled off stage, and you go, what just happened? Shuffled off long
1: before the band expected him to, right. clearly. you know, He was on stage probably all of about 60 seconds,
3: and then he left, and everybody's looking at each other. It was absurd, and it, they were all crutches out there for Sly, and he obviously needed them. You brought up the point earlier, Jim, about, okay, it's essentially a TV program here. And it's about ratings. Well, how did the ratings fare? Here's a telling stat. It was up against American Idol for the first hour of the show. And American Idol's audience exceeded the Grammy Awards. What does that tell uh. you? People are more interested in that than the Grammys. And Well, the Grammys
1: acknowledge, acknowledge that. Acknowledge
3: that with Kelly Clarkson being the first American Idol winner to actually uh, win actual grammy awards when she does that mariah
1: carey screechy diva ballad crap i mean she's horrible <laughs> horrible horrible compare that performance to mary j blodge mary yeah. j blodge just tore the roof off the staples center in los angeles that woman has got soul you know with her little pinky she could destroy mariah carey and kelly clarkson to boot <laughs> the beauty of this show is jim that we don't have to talk about the
3: grammys for another year another 364 <laughs> days before we have to worry about the grammys again Another piece of major news this week. Three years ago, almost to the day, two of the biggest tragedies in the history of uh, music making in the United States occurred. And they are sort of slowly reaching the point where there's some sort of conclusion appearing here with both the E2 nightclub disaster in Chicago and the uh, Rhode Island fire that claimed 100 people's lives during a great white show In the uh, E2 incident in Chicago, we had 21 people die. So in the course of three days, half a continent apart, 121 people died in nightclub tragedies. A disaster like this hadn't happened before
1: since the Cincinnati Who concert you know in 79 in yeah. 79 you know and suddenly these two disasters came in the E2 case uh, you know it was a disco on the south side of chicago somebody fired off some pepper spray in the club and a dj working for a clear channel radio station may or may not have said something that spurred this panic people tried to get out they couldn't get out now uh, lawyers for 116 of the plaintiffs that includes the families of the 21 who died and a lot of people who were injured Uh, reached a settlement with the two club owners for a million and a half dollars. They may get an additional two million if the insurance policy uh, covers the club. That's small change, the lawyers say. We're happy to have reached this settlement, but what we're really going after is Clear Channel the radio station that provided the DJ for this event, and the city of Chicago, because they contend that city rescue workers were ignoring pleas for help as people were dying on the scene, being trampled. Pretty horrifying. The city says it's not going to settle. Clear
3: Channel hasn't commented, but this thing is is reaching a conclusion. And it appears that the uh, Rhode Island incident, a similar thing is happening, Jim, where the manager of the band, Great White, who admitted to setting off the fireworks inside the Rhode Island nightclub that killed... 100 people setting off a huge fire, changed his plea from not guilty to guilty, basically setting himself up for a long prison term, 10 years. He waived his right to a trial and uh, to appeal his sentence. A a shocking uh, turn of events, really.
1: I saw quite a few interviews with uh, surviving family members in Rhode Island. They don't think it's enough. I mean, they want him to go away for life, for murder. I mean, clearly what you can accuse Great White of is stupidity here's this faded metal band 15 years past it's prime Spinal Tap come to life they're playing you know a third rate club in a backwater in Rhode Island and Mm -hmm. they set off fireworks inside that's stupid but I don't believe they
3: wanted to murder anybody. Right. Meanwhile, the club's owners are maintaining uh, that they are not guilty, even though they have also been charged with 100 counts of involuntary manslaughter. So it remains to be seen uh, how this case will play out. But weird twist, February 17, 2003, February 20, 2003, and now three years to the day almost we see these two incidents building towards a resolution.
1: You're listening to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. It's the portion of the show where we pay tribute
3: to the day that lovers break up.
5: You love her, but she is.
1: Love Stinks, that is the theme of tonight's show. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. You are Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. Why are we going to bum everybody
3: out right before Valentine's Day? We're contrarians, Jim, at uh, Sound (laughs) (laughs) Opinions. We never believe in doing things the easy way. Uh, There are a million love songs out there, uh, and they're all being celebrated on Valentine's Day. It's a cliche. Record companies are putting out volumes of love songs in celebration of this holiday. By the way, do you know what uh, the most popular love song of all time is, according to a uh, recent survey? I do not. It is, in fact, Elvis Presley's Can't Help Falling in Love. All right. Uh, This is a can't-help-falling-in-love free zone tonight. A great relationship has broken up. You're shattered. You're a little angry. You're bewildered. And these are the kind of songs that were written sort of in that mode of, of... you know get me to the other side of this thing because i am really ticked off right now
1: well, let's or i am really it. heartbroken right now yeah we've all been in that position everybody's been there and music is uh, one sure way to get out you know alcohol is probably another but that's not <laughs> the theme of this show uh music is one way to come out the other side we're going to give you a laundry list of our favorite great rock and roll songs that will help you do that they have to not only be uh, effective as anti-love songs they have to be great songs exactly so the music we love and the sentiments we love everything that we've chosen kind of illustrates one aspect or another of the uh, end of a relationship uh you know the anger the self-pity kind of the self-examination we're going to take you through the whole stage you know it's like they say it's like when you're dying you know, the five stages, you know, grief, acceptance, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's tonight's show. Exactly. I am going to kick things off with a uh, Rolling Stones classic from Sticky Fingers. Uh, you know, the Stones were a band that didn't sing love songs. In fact, many people have accused them of being the most misogynistic band I was gonna in, say, in rock history. They, they could
3: be poster boys for this whole show. It's I tr- mean, it's they true. are despicable when it comes to uh, goodwill towards the opposite sex. I'm sure we could come up with an entire show uh, uh,
1: or, or at least one song from every album that the Stones have ever put <laughs> out. But this one, I think in particular, uh, Jagger is getting right to the heart of the matter. Love, it's a bitch. You know what I mean? I mean, what else? Where else could we start tonight? <laughs> bitch on Sound Opinions.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. Sticky Fingers was 1971. After Exile
1: on Main Street, I brought in the uh, actual CD reissue that came with the zipper. It's not quite as effective
3: on CD when you have the zipper fly Andy Warhol. You cover. It was the, better uh, in, in the album. Yes, actual, actual size, as they say. We're running down our list of, of songs that illustrate the concept of love stinks in honor of Valentine's Day. Marvin Gaye, here, My Dear, the title of his 1978 double album. He made a double album. <laughs> About the idea that I am breaking up with my wife and I can't stand it, that despicable person that Mm -hmm. I was married to for 14 years. He uh, had a right, in a sense, to be very angry because he was ordered to turn over the royalties from his next album by a court judge as part of the divorce settlement in 1976. So Marvin turned around and made an entire concept album about the divorce (laughs) from his wife, Anna Gordy. That's a familiar name, Greg. uh, She happens to be the sister of uh, Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown Records.
1: And this album came out on Motown. On Motown. (laughs) So
3: what a twisted little uh, triangle this turned out to be. Gay outdid himself on a track in particular that I'm going to play called When Did You Stop Loving Me? When Did I Stop Loving You? He came back to it no less than three times on this record, different mm. versions of this song, an instrumental version, a reprise at the end of the record, and then the full-on version of the song. You listen to the bile in the words here. It's uh, When Did You Stop Loving Me? When Did I Stop Loving You? by Marvin Gaye on Sound Opinions.
6: You know, when you say your marriage vows, they're supposed to be for real, I mean if you think back about what you really said, you know. Honor, and loving and obeying until death do us Lord. No. But it shouldn't be that way, it should it should it shouldn't be lies, because it turns out to be lies. And if you don't honor what you said, you'd lie to God, Your words should be changed.
3: Marvin Gaye pouring his heart out. Love does indeed stink sometimes, folks. Some great (laughs) songs came out of it. And we're going to be playing a bunch more for you after this break. We got our choices. We have our listeners' choices all coming up next
1: on Chicago Public Radio. With all my heart, as long
5: you want me to,
4: baby Ooh. if I love again I'm gonna try a new way this time ah.
6: Memories of the things we did Some we're proud of, some we hid So when two people have to part are to make him strong
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. for this evening. And this evening only, we have checked into the Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> we are playing the best anti-love songs in rock history, and we've got uh, listeners who have some opinions. Let's go to the phones. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Sound Opinions.
0: Well, you got to love Ever Fallen in Love by The Buzzcocks, which, Ye- you know, the whole album is good. Absolutely. By- we
1: we did this show a couple of years ago and I chose that one.
0: Oh, well. It's sorry, a classic. I didn't hear
1: it. Uh why? What well, what makes you what makes you go for The Buzzcocks?
0: Well, that whole album, like I said, I mean, the album's called Love Bites,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and it's you know even just the title of the song just says it all for me.
1: Well, and I mean, the question that that the Buzzcocks pose: Have you ever fallen in love with somebody you shouldn't have fallen in love with? Right. Who can't answer yes right. to that one?
0: Exactly. That's what that's what I was thinking. I mean, everybody can relate to that, definitely.
3: That's great, Lisa. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you
4: so much. Bye.
1: That's a great choice from Lisa, the Buzzcocks ever fallen in love. Lisa's at home with two young children asking us to play her the Buzzcocks. Obviously, she found love eventually, but uh, boy, that's
3: a damn cool mom. You're listening to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. We're talking about the best anti-love songs in honor of Valentine's Day, and we're talking to Ron about that. Ron, what's your uh, favorite? Well, this was a tough one to come up with, just one. Um, So I focused on one album. And Blood on the Tracks always uh, hit with me, you know, with the themes running through it. You know,
1: pick a song, simple twist of fate, you're
3: going to make me lonesome when you go, you're
1: a big girl now, idiot wins. (laughs) Uh, If you see her say hello right, you can go on with it. And this, of course, Ron, is the Marriage Falling Apart album that Bob Dylan made. Yes, and I think he, he did a great job. You know, Dylan's lyrics have always been kind of, you're not really clear of what he's coming from. This one, it's right there. There's no minced words in here, right? Uh, You're an idiot, babe. Just wondering how you still know how to breathe. Yeah. (laughs) I think I know what you mean there, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because everybody's gone through this at one point or another. Mm -hmm. And then covering the emotions, I mean, with just the anger in Idiot Wind, you're absolutely right The anger I, you know, I mean here is a piece Of punk rock And to prove it I saw Patti Smith Cover this song once oh, And mm-hmm. she really Did it justice But this is, of course Is the uh, Bob Dylan version On Sound Opinions Thank you so much Ron Alright thanks thank Ron. guys. Take care
6: People see me All the time And they-
1: talking to listeners who have suggestions about great anti-love songs we got claire on the line hey claire what is your choice for a love stinks anthem
0: well it was kind of a tough choice for me because a lot of my favorite songs would fall into this category but i had to go with if i had to pick one the cures pictures of you
1: the cure have a lot of a lot of good anti-love songs
0: yes in fact pretty much probably half their catalog could fall (laughs) into this category
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) why why pictures of you though
0: Well, I think it just it kind of combines all the perfect elements for a good Love Hurts song from the, you know, minute and a half intro of music that's on the album version on Disintegration. I remember the first time I listened to it, I was reading the lyrics while listening to that intro and was already overwhelmed with emotion by the time he even started singing.
1: Well you are obviously a cure fan so you're going to know this and I'm not but hasn't Smith been happily married for like 30 years?:
0: Yes, which is kind of odd that he's so good at writing these songs <laughs> but he, he certainly is
1: maybe he gets it all out, Claire, and
3: projects it could be yeah for it, sure and the other thing about this song, Claire, I think it seems like he's sad and melancholy but he's not angry. it's not like he's right. uh, bitter about it he's just like looking back very fondly on this relationship and wishes it it could last some more
0: indeed.
1: Everybody is a rock critic, Mr. Cot. Those were all good picks, but it's our show, so now it's back to us. Um, you played Marvin Gaye earlier. This Velvet Underground song, There She Goes Again, is uh, basically built on Marvin Gaye's hitchhike, and the Velvets took it somewhere new. Um, and and it's, it's a wonderfully bouncy, kind of <laughs> happy little pop song with the production done very much in a kind of 60s AM radio feel out of keeping with much of the rest of the Velvet's first album, which had some some real incredible noise rock on it, let's not forget. This one comes on like a pop song, but it's insidious. And I think this is Lou Reed in 66 saying, you know, what the rappers now say, bitches and hoes. I mean, there she goes again. She's out on the streets again. She's down on her knees, my friend, but you know she'll never ask you please. And then Lou's conclusion about what he's saying is a horrible woman uh, is you better hit her, which is horrifying.
3: It's a shocker. It's a sh- it, it drops like a safe in the middle of that song. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely, and I think that this is a stratagem that many smart and otherwise sensitive songwriters have played with. And I couldn't help but thinking of a guy you wrote uh, quite a lot about, Mr. Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, in "She's a Jar," mm-hmm. where he sings the same thing. You know, she begs me not to hit her. That's a, a sweet pop song too, and especially in the context of a sweet pop song, that sudden flash of violence or, or the potential for violence is all the more upsetting. But you'll hear what I'm, I'm talking about here. This is There She Goes Again by The Velvet Underground on Chicago Public Radio.
7: There she goes again She's out on the streets again
5: She's down on her knees, my friend But you know she'll never ask a
3: Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, there she goes again. You know, I don't know why we keep going in this direction, but I'm going to have to one-up you in the nasty department, and then we're going to go to some heartbreak songs. Okay. There's some really, really nasty anti-love songs out there, and I, I can't think of one that is nastier. ...than the one I'm going to play next. And it was part of the comeback record by uh, one Marianne Faithful, ...perhaps best known to some people as Mick Jagger's lover... ...during the ups and downs of the 60s. The drug busts, you know, the baddest boys in England... ...and she was the girlfriend of the most notorious figure in British rock and roll. While the Stones continued on their sort of jet-setting ways in the 70s... ...Marianne Faithful became a heroin abuser and was really living in poverty for much of that decade, continued to make great music and made an incredible record called Broken English, in which a lot of the bile that had been stored up for the previous decade sort of uh, filtered into the music and informed the music. Well, her second husband was a guy by the name of Ben Brierly. And Marianne married him, and nonetheless, Ben kept seeing his girlfriends. This sort of piled up and ended up becoming a song called Why'd You Do It? The words were written by a poet by the name of Heathcote Williams. This fellow intended this lyric for Tina Turner. Hmm. And Marianne Faithful went to the guy's house, she knew him, and said, no, I, I want to record this because this is my life you're writing about. <laughs> and in her autobiography, Faithful, that came out about a decade ago, she said that the most potent ingredient of all was Ben in this song. Why'd you do it? Wouldn't have meant anything to me if I hadn't been going through these very same emotions with Ben. Mick liked the song, referring to Mick Jagger, of course. And like almost everybody else I'd ever been involved with, he thought it was all about him. <laughs> Jagger <laughs> no, always does. but no. Listen to this song. This is Marianne Faithful telling Ben what she thought of their relationship in 1980 on Sound Opinions. why you do it from Marianne Faithful? Um, you know, Cod, I've said this can, before. Can we get nastier, Jim? Is yeah, it well, possible? I've said
1: this before. Everybody thinks that I'm the bad boy of the Sound Opinions <laughs> team, that I'm going to be the one that gets us <laughs> kicked off public radio. But if anybody is curious, you look up the lyrics of that song on the net, and uh, thanks, Greg. Glad to serve, Jim. Glad to serve.
2: <laughs> Why'd you do what you said? Ain't nothing to laugh. You just tore all our kisses right
1: Greg, you had a good choice a little earlier for a great heartbreak song. I'm going to give you one of mine. Red Cross was a great band. started out really young. They were barely uh, in their mid-teens when they kind of wound up bridging that underground punk era of the mid-'80s and the alternative explosion of the 90s. Never really found the audience they deserved, but they were great, great songwriters, and I think this is one of their great songs. I Don't Know How to Be Your Friend. This is my choice for a heartbreak anthem because I think we've all been there. You know, I was forever the guy who had the car who was helping women move out of fifth-floor walk-ups in Hoboken, (laughs) New Jersey, forever, you know, driving somebody around and helping them out. And then after months and months and months of trepidation, you you make your move and you just kind of, well, you know, I kind of sort of uh, uh, (laughs) – I kind of like you. And then you get this in response. Well, we're just friends. Ah <laughs> and then, so you, my whole life I wanted to respond I don't wanna be your friend. I got enough friends. I don't need any friends. Yeah, friends, yeah. And Red Cross, they didn't know how to be your friend, and I think they gave perfect voice to that sentiment. Here it is on Sound Opinions. I looked
6: at my face this morning. I just couldn't come my hair. Bars for breakfast Guess I really didn't care
4: Had to force myself to wake up I just had to stop my day
6: Didn't want to leave my room
4: Didn't want to see the things i
1: Crossed, you got to love that slide guitar, weeping. I mean, that's the sound of some guy crying. (laughs) That's the sound of Jim crying when it's, uh, you're just my friend, Jim. You know you're depressed when you're having candy bars for breakfast, you know, (laughs) as he sings. I I just, I
3: love that. The old, I threw my back out this morning, I can't help you move uh, excuse always worked for me. I mean, you know, when it comes right down to it. I didn't learn that till my 30s. (laughs) That one one didn't kick in. Are you going to get us in more trouble, Greg, or where are you going now? No, I'm going to get tender on you compassionate, uh, yeah. <laughs> heartbroken. Um, it had been suggested by our, our good friend Chris that there was another song from this album by The Replacements called Let It Be in 1984 that would have qualified for this show, and i in in total agreement with him. But I'm going to go to the other choice on that album. So you're not,
1: you're not going to play unsatisfied? not going to play
3: unsatisfied, as suggested, but I am going to play a song called Answering Machine. And I think what Paul Westerberg, the songwriter in The Replacements, was doing in this song was railing against the notion that this is somehow advancing our ease of living. He is railing against this stupid machine that is preventing him from talking in the way he really wants to the woman he's breaking up with. We have
1: more media than ever, but
3: communication in the truest sense is harder than ever. Exactly. And it, it sums up this song perfectly. It's called Answering Machine. It's just Paul and a guitar, and he's pouring his heart out. To an answering machine. Well,
1: and kind of mixed to sound as if it's going onto that stupid tape. Exactly. The one with the loop that was twenty seconds
3: long. Remember that? Exactly. Try to free a slave of ignorance, try and teach a whore about romance. Paul Westerberg <laughs> very confused at the at the moment of his breakup on sound opinions. Answering Machine from the Replacements, the Let It Be album of 1984. We'll be right back on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio with more anti-love songs.
7: If you lose hill, if you lose hill, if you lose hill, if you lose
4: hill, if you if you lose hill, if you you lose if you lose hill, if you lose hill, if you lose hill, if you lose hill, if you if you lose hill,
7: if you you if you if you 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 turn up and try again. If you lose health, if you lose him, if you lose him, if you lose him, if you lose him, if you'd like to make a call, hold up and try If you lose him, 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 if you'd like to you a call, hold up try
3: again. Welcome back to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune, and my partner is Jim Dirigatis of the Chicago Sun-Times, and we are running down some of the best anti-love songs of all time in honor of valentine's day
1: in rock history there has never been a better angry band than the sex pistols the sex pistols were pretty asexual i mean johnny Lydon, in particular when he was johnny rotten rarely sung about women but uh, i think you can hear this song uh, which is one of their great singles as an anti-love song or as just uh, an i hate all of humanity love song Uh, And pretty vacant. I mean, you're so pretty, you're so pretty, you're so vacant. You know, it's just the loathing. I I don't know. I don't think there's ever been a better example of complete and utter disdain. I think that's the word. Yeah, that's a good word for it, disdain. You are a waste of (laughs) oxygen, you know. And uh, it's the Sex pistol. It doesn't get much better than this.
3: there's nothing like Venom and the Sex Pistols. They seem to go together. They were the masters, yes. And here's a little bit more subtle example of that, also from the British rock spectrum, with Richard and Linda Thompson, oh. who... Uh, relatively famous married couple in the rock world during the 70s and early 80s, they went out with a tremendous album called Shoot Out the Lights in 1982, but the price they had to pay to make this album is just like, you, you don't wish anybody to, to go through this. Here's the story. Richard and Linda Thompson uh, were two of the major figures in the uh, British folk rock movement in the 70s. They made a series of albums together, brilliant records, started recording this album, Shoot Out the Lights, and then Richard went on a solo tour. Where he met this woman, Nancy Covey, and fell in love, returned to England and told Linda, I want a divorce. Oh. They make this album, Shoot Out the Lights, which is essentially the story of uh, their marriage breaking up. Richard went on to deny to me in an interview that I did with him uh, years later saying, this had nothing to do with our marriage, really. It could have been any <laughs> couple that we were talking about here. But I saw your show, Richard Thompson, with Linda at Mm. Tuts in Chicago as you were exiting the stage. Linda kicking you in the shins (laughs) as you were leaving. This was on the final tour because, you know— Lo and behold, they're breaking up. They make this breakup album. They're divorcing, and there's Linda kicking Richard in the shins as they're exiting the stage in Chicago. So, no, Richard, it wasn't about your marriage. It was just some other couple you were writing about. Smart enough not to hurt his fingers because he needed to play guitar. (laughs) But a brilliant, brilliant album. And, And Walking on a Wire is a terrific song from that record, written by Richard, sung by Linda on Sound Opinions.
6: I wish I could please you tonight. My medicine just won't come right
7: I'm walking on a wire I'm walking on a wire And I'm falling
1: Talking great anti-Valentines, anti-love, which you know could also be called hate songs. <laughs> but we don't want to hate. These are songs that are not about love. Uh, we got uh, some more listeners, and we're going to hear their suggestions. Matt, welcome to Sound Opinions.
3: Hey, hey, Matt. Uh, I suggested "Just Another High" by
7: Roxy Music.
1: Just another high. Now, what what album's that from? Siren. Siren. Now, Brian Ferry's a guy who knows a thing or three about failed romances. Well, first of all, the whole song revolves around a really bitter breakup. And I think um, the opening guitar part really captures the mood of everything that's said in the lyrics. It's got this really hard metallic tone, and it plays this really gorgeous melody, but it's got this right amount of dissonance to it. And uh, from there, you have Brian Ferry singing these bitter, sarcastic lines that actually give you a sense of what's been said to the singer, you know, like accusations of not really caring or caring enough.
3: You know who the cover subject of that album is, don't you? Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall. She was uh, not yet Jagger's wife. She was, in fact, going out with Ferry at the time. Yeah, I think
7: he, uh, or she left him for, uh, for Jagger.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, you're going to get dumped. <laughs> you know,
1: I mean, at least she can. Uh, I was bragging rights. Yeah, you left me for that jerk, Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, thank you, Matt. That's a great suggestion. So let's That's hear a little nice. Roxy music on Sound Opinions.
6: Maybe your heart is aching. I wouldn't know now, would I? Maybe your spirit's breaking
5: up. I shouldn't care now, should
4: I? Maybe you're thinking of me. Well, I don't know now, do I? If only you knew. Die could die
3: I want to welcome Kate to Sound Opinions. We're talking about the best anti-love songs in honor of Valentine's Day. Kate, what's your uh, choice?
0: Hi, I chose I'm Looking Through You by the Beatles.
3: Oh, good one.
0: Yeah, and...
1: All the greatest Beatles anti-love songs, of course, are, are from Lennon, aren't they?
0: Most of them are, and I cho- one of my top five was, but this is a Paul. You'd think it was Lennon, but it's Paul. So, for me, the lyrics are deceptively simple of this song, but they really resonate with me. In terms of being rejected in love, and then it's also about being, like, totally surprised or shocked by what someone close to you, a change in them, or something that they can do that you didn't think they were capable of doing.
3: Mm-hmm. Sort of that moment of clarity, and it's got
1: to be a bitter moment, right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I always took it as, as a kind of, you know, very 60s put-down. I'm looking through you as in, you know, there's, there's just nothing to you. There's nothing there. I've just realized you're a hollow, empty person. <laughs>
0: That's
1: true. Transparent. (laughs) All right. Well, this one goes out to someone uh, that you no longer love, Kate. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, This is the Beatles, of course, on Sound Opinions.
5: I'm looking through you.
3: sound opinions we're talking about the best anti-love songs and we're on with rory rory you've got a uh, selection for us uh love will Tear us apart joy division oh, oh. pure classic <laughs> absolutely yes, it is. all right tell us about this one uh, rory and why it uh, stands out for you just it's a great song i've always
7: loved it and uh, i made a mix for a girlfriend once put it on there didn't really think about it <laughs>
3: a week later we were broken up <laughs> Uh, She got the message, or you got the message, or something, right? It's a great song. It's (laughs) a great song, but this is a downer, man. You don't play this at a party ever. You do not, no. 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 There's all sorts of mythology attached to this song, too. It was one of the last songs written and recorded by uh, Joy Division, and the singer Ian Curtis hung himself uh, weeks after this song was completed. So there's all sorts of dire down stuff associated with this song. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we're bumming, we're bumming Rory's, Rory out just talking about it.
1: this we're gonna play this one but we're gonna give a warning to the listeners. Uh, yeah. If you are suffering from depression right now and or uh, approaching the end of a relationship, don't listen. Yes yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't give it to your girlfriend on there. <laughs>
7: thanks right. Rory.
1: Thanks, Rory. thanks a lot.
3: Double tear apart by Joy Division. I think you did this as a Desert Island Jukebox one. Yeah, it's one of my favorite do. songs of all time. And you know, the, you know, Rory, the caller was absolutely right. I mean, there's something very powerful about the song, but there's also something about the catharsis of like a really sad, depressing song. I even had a Fleetwood Mac moment. They were not my favorite band in the '70s. I was into the punk rockers, but I'd just broken up with somebody, and that song "Go Your Own Way," which I'd never paid attention to ever before, came on the radio just as I was breaking up with his girlfriend. And I go, you know, this is the greatest song ever written. At that moment, go your own way, said everything about my life
1: that I needed to have said. And it was like, wow. We are not going to play Fleetwood (laughs) Mac. We're playing actual good songs (laughs) that happen to be about bad loving. Uh, We are wrapping up our discussion of anti-love music here on Sound Opinions just in time for Valentine's Day. He's Greg Cott. I'm Jim DeRogatis. We still love each other. Greg, I have saved absolutely the best for last. This is from an album that uh, is one of my all-time favorites as well as our, our web guru, Jason Saldana's. You know where I'm going, right? Mm-hmm. Ice Cube and the, in, the incredible album, America's Most Wanted, America KKK's Most Wanted, 1990. All right, I hate to be one of these guys who's always going on about the old school. But I think kids today in particular don't remember that Ice Cube was once one of the baddest of the bad uh, voices in hip-hop. You know, Ice Cube's in a new crappy movie every week. What is it, Anaconda? He gets eaten by a snake, right? <laughs> I mean, please. But this guy was once at the pinnacle. This was as good as hip-hop got. You know, he walks away from the biggest hip-hop group in the world, NWA, and then comes out with his solo career that's just absolutely mind-blowing. If hip-hop didn't have a t- an attention span of 15 minutes, this album would be considered up there with your Exile on Main Streets or your your Velvet Underground albums. James Brown is another guy who had a lot of troublesome relationships and there is a great James Brown sample that runs through and comments throughout the song at the same time that Ice Cube and his female protege Yo-Yo uh you know they are having this conversation and they are basically playing the dozens and so, you know Cube is given his whole litany his whole long long roster of everything that's wrong with women and Yo-Yo is just giving it right back mm-hmm. and she's hitting him where it hurts Cube says Hell no, because you know I'm first and you're second. If it wasn't for me, you'd probably be pregnant and barefoot, complaining that your back is aching, shaking and faking while I'm bringing home the bacon. And Yo Yo just hits him right back. Well, you're mistaken. I'm not going that far. I make brothers like you play in the backyard. You used to flow with the title, but I took it. Bring home the bacon, but find another hoe to cook it. You know, and they just do this. It's a really long track, and every single minute of it is brilliant. This is uh, the all time anti love duet.
5: I put a lot of fear on that? Because I had it up to here with them. Drink a beer with them? No way. Because I can only deal with them about an hour every day. Yeah, if you know what I mean, babe. Well, I guess now that I think about it, I think maybe. If you was more of a man instead of faking it, women deserve the credit when they're making it. Yeah, so what's the problem? Well, I think we solved it. I know they know the best now from who's dogging it. Yeah, I admit mean, you can <laughs> flow. Well, that's true. But you see, I'm a pro with the bank's. kind of dope but you still can't face know what up you girl what you trying to do the poor black woman like me can bring the fall through this is a man's world thank you very but much it wouldn't be a damn thing without a woman cut this, this is a man's
1: world that's uh, ice cube and yo-yo it's a man's world on uh, sound opinions i want to hear you top that mr god
3: i don't know if i could top mr cube uh he was at the very top of his game With that record. But uh, the Afghan Whigs, a a group that really got no love. (laughs) You're uh, coming close to topping it. They got no love. Uh, They were miscast as a grunge band because they signed with Sub Pop, the Seattle-based label that uh, had you know, spawned Nirvana and Soundgarden and Mudhoney. But they went on to sort of transcend that label. They were really fans of R&B and soul. Greg Dooley, the lead singer in the band, uh, was a big fan of of those kind of soul singers. And that sort of content, that sort of deep get-under-your-skin Singing and also uh, lyrics, he broke up with a girlfriend and then inspired uh, not just a song but a series of songs that became the record "Gentleman." Uh, Dooley really pours his heart out about this relationship. Wanted to scrap the record, the rest of the band convinced him that they had to put it out because the, they they thought the songs were great, the lyrics were the most honest and thought provoking he'd ever written, and uh, and Dooley uh, eventually consented and and did put out the record "Gentleman" in 1993. In interviews, uh, went on to say that he thought of it as a response to Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. <laughs> now, Astral Weeks is a masterpiece. There's no doubt about it. But I think in his own way, Afghan Wigs and Greg Dooley made a masterpiece with, with Gentlemen. And the song I'm going to focus on, When We Two Parted, is an example of what's going on here. It's got this opium den guitar coursing through it. And it's chronicling this sadomasochistic relationship. I mean, there, it's a very disturbing relationship breaking down. It starts off very tenderly in a reflective mode. By the end of the song, you're getting to lyrics like, if I inflict the pain, then baby, only I can comfort you. Gentlemen is the name of the album. When we two parted is the song on Sound Opinions. Baby. From the Afghan Wigs, and we are going to have to part tonight as well. But we thank you for listening to the Anti Love Songs issue of Sound Opinions, and, and we really, go out there and have a great Valentine's Day yeah, in please. spite of all that. <laughs> we, 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 I'd hate to be responsible for bumming out everybody's
1: holiday. Uh, that wasn't the intention. Get it all out now through this show, and then go out and have fun. Exactly.
3: Next week, the digital age has changed everything about the way music is recorded, the way it's distributed and the way you listen to it. Nobody can make sense of this, from the guy
1: on the street corner up to the Supreme Court justices. The one man, I think, who can. (laughs) Professor Lawrence Lessig is going to be here. On the way out, we got some people to thank. Everybody on this list we do love in the most sincere way Tori Malatia executive producer Todd Bachman our managing producer and director Matt Spiegel our producer and coin tosser Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn are our associate producers and uh, Joe Deso, thanks for the technical assistance we'll be back next week on Sound Opinions thanks for listening